The Premier League season has hit the halfway point. Omicron is doing a number on every team in the league, and City is starting to run away. We also got our Boxing Day matches, as well as the opening of the January transfer window. It's the first pot of 2022. I'm Colin. I've got my man Justin here. How you doing? Happy New Year! Welcome to 2022. Premier League is still rolling. We got the World Cup this year. Although it's in December, I think. November, December. But yeah, it's a World Cup year. Uh, it's going to be super exciting. And, you know, we're halfway through this thing. So the pretenders and the contenders are starting to separate themselves a little bit. I think we got some separating on both ends of the table, which we'll get into. Uh, we got African Cup of Nations that we're going to get into, which is a bizarre tournament, bizarre by being in the middle of the season, unlike the rest of the tournaments. So we'll talk about that. And then, Kyle, January means it's transfer window time. Everyone expects a lot to be done. Nothing is ever done except for one. <laughs> so it's you know? the same thing every year in every January. Time. You got the, you know, the rumors. So you have like ESPN FC transfer rumors, and it's updated minute by minute, and it's like nothing's happening. And then yeah, you, you got, get, you get your, your crazy Lukaku's to Tottenham, which like, come on, that's a joke. You get your Lukaku Kane swap. Mbappe to Newcastle, baby, it's happening. We haven't talked about Spider-Man trying to convince Mbappe to go to to go to Tottenham. <laughs> shut, shut <laughs> up, dude! Don't you love how like Tom Holland started this rumor, and it wasn't even a rumor; it's just a throwaway comment, and everyone right. just picks it up and runs with it. I'm just like, oh, that's great. Oh, well, then Mbappe sat down with I think CNN Sport for an interview and the woman was a Tottenham fan and she's like so what do you think uh going to Tottenham and he's just laughing he actually said some nice things he said Conte's a world-class manager and it's a top club but he couldn't he does he would he wouldn't want to go to the cold of Tottenham or something along those lines <laughs> so he was like I don't I don't see Tottenham in my future he was very nice about it but look this isn't a Tottenham pod I actually think this will be a relatively Tottenham free uh, pod thank god I mean we talk about everyone's way too much for everyone's sanity. We are going to talk a little bit about Arsenal, though, sadly. Gotta say. But, well, um, yeah, another London team to start, though, right? Exactly what I was getting at. Chelsea, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about Romelu Lukaku in a second. Homeboy is tripping, but like I said, we'll get into it. But they've been on a little bit of a bit of a schneid, as you like to say. They've been on some bad form lately. That is exactly how I like to say it. And I like how you're picking up on my vernacular as we're... How, how many years are we in? This is our third year, technically, of Over the Top. Uh, yeah, they've been bad. And so this festive period with three games in quick succession, but you know, one in their last five games. And so they had that 3-1 win, that one win coming at Aston Villa. But their last two, that 1-1 draw at home versus Brighton, and then 2-2 draw at home versus Liverpool, and obviously Liverpool being a much tougher opponent. But they now find themselves 10 points behind Manchester City with an equal number of games played and in bad form. And on top of that, before I turn it over to you, they've had some bad injuries. Chilwell out for the year. Reese James just went out in the most recent match. I don't think that match is or that injury is like season-ending or anything, but I don't know how long it's supposed to be. And they have, they're thin at some other positions, so... Kyle, what do you make of Chelsea's form and how they've been playing? Do you think this is a personnel issue? Do you think it's a tactics issue? Where do you where do you pin Chelsea's results at? Yeah, Chelsea, it's it's, it's a weird one, isn't it? I mean, I really honestly can't really put my finger on it. And I've I've listened to some analysis on like TV or YouTube or like wherever you find the stuff. And I feel like everyone else is also struggling to put a thumb on it, but what you mentioned about the wingbacks, especially in that Thomas Tuchel system, I think that's kind of where the issues began. And then it's kind of just tumbled from there and kind of, uh, there's been some bit of a domino effect, but yeah, I I think you're right about Reese James. I think it's his injuries for about a month or two months. Ben Showell though, that's a season ender. And, um, Chelsea fans are now left with Marcus Alonso, who must be the least popular Chelsea player in the eyes of Chelsea fans. I think maybe that's a little, little harsh in my eyes, but I just must not watch Chelsea enough because the man is like literally hated across the board by Chelsea fans. So it's a weird one though. Um, and, um, you know, they're, they're struggling to score goals, but 
when Lukaku comes in, he does score goals. But weirdly enough, when they don't play with him, they seem to do better as a team. It's just, I don't know. I feel like they're not quite gelling yet. And Werner's been out, but then again, he can't hit a barn door. It's a, it's a strange one. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it either. I, I, I think you hit the nail on the head on a lot of issues. It's so puzzling to me. So when Lukaku plays, he always scores, essentially, and is the focal point of their attack. And then when he doesn't, they seem to do pretty well. But they still miss that that biting edge that they have. Yeah. I mean, uh, look at this last game where they played 2-2 draw against Liverpool in a highly entertaining first half, I will say. Uh, really whole game, but especially the first half where they go down 2-0. They fight back uh, through a brilliant 0.02 xG goal from Mateo Kovacic, who can't you can't really strike a volley better than that. I don't think just perfect technique. I'm doing it as I sit in my chair, lean back and like perfect volley through uh, with his right foot, and then the good um, good goal from Christian Pulisic. But that's not your striker play. It's all interlinked, and I don't. I'm not sold on Kai Havertz be leading the line either. So tough times ahead. And this is all without mentioning uh, the Lukaku drama. Oh, God, yeah. This, this one is really puzzling. I mean, Chelsea's puzzling, but the Lukaku comments that came out recently are truly, truly bizarre. That's even coming from, you know, like, as a Spurs fan, I love to see this beef simmering over at Chelsea. But, like, I was just thinking, like, what is he doing? Well, I, I couldn't believe it. But real quick before Lukaku, I did just want to say um, I do feel like Chelsea's form has been pretty woeful in the past five games, but that Liverpool draw over the weekend does signal some uh, some promise moving forward. And I think maybe they're trying they're they're sort of sorting out how to, you know, move past these injuries, which are have clearly just sort of kneecap them a little bit but the Lukaku one yeah Justin this interview Sky Sports Italia I think it was Mm -hmm. doing an interview and over in Italy not sanctioned by the club decides to start talking about uh how he's things are going at Chelsea I think this must have been when he was injured or something because he wasn't playing for about a month or two but goes on to say despite (laughs) this after the goal uh against Villa the goal against Brighton two man of the match performances suddenly not in the squad for the Liverpool game. That's because he goes on this interview in Italian and decides to, one, criticize Thomas Tuchel's tactics. I think it was the fact that he switched his tactics. I'm not, maybe I don't watch Chelsea enough, but I'm not actually sure what kind of tactical switch he's talking about because they played that back five the whole this whole season. I don't know. Maybe you know better than me. Uh, goes on, yeah, criticizes the system. Then claimed, you know, I want to come back to Inter. I want to return one day. If they paid me a little bit more money, I would have stayed at Inter. It was really bizarre. But that's not the worst part of it. He then goes on to list XYZ club he wants to play for. Oh, you know, if I, leave for, if I was going to leave for Inter, play for Madrid, Barca, Bayern. And this just doesn't square right with me because I, I recall him saying he wanted retire at Chelsea when he came back in the summer just what what are you thinking like what what is going through Romelu Lukaku's head right now you just just joined the Champions League I I'm baffled honestly I mean what do you make of this it's bizarre it's bizarre I mean I don't know how you can be perceived in any light other than you're a giant man baby really I mean, it just looks like he's bitching and complaining going on Sky Sport Italia. Oh, yeah, I don't like the system. I I don't get the ball enough. Yada, yada. Life was so great at Inter. If they just paid me a little more money, I would have stayed. I can't wait to go back there before my prime ends. Yada, yada. It's bizarre. I just don't know, as a teammate of him at Chelsea, how do you feel? someone in your locker room you join Chelsea's paying you know paid a hundred million pounds or whatever it was for your transfer you know you're one of Lukaku's like hey dude like he's not he's not bought in like I don't I want players that are bought in and that are going to win the Champions League and win the Premier League title I would 
I would feel differently about Lukaku. And it, not to say that I wouldn't pass him the ball on the pitch or anything, but that whole chemistry and dynamic in the locker room, you would think yeah. would change. Absolutely. I mean, I, my understanding is players have a say in his bench pool, or at least so Thomas Tuchel says. Um, but I, I think this is something that makes sense to me that uh, Tuchel would involve all this, the squad in this. And it's just extra bizarre because Chelsea desperately needed a striker. They desperately yeah. needed a goal scorer and a focal point, and especially one who's mobile. And Lukaku is exactly that. So I mean, I still think they bizarre. desperately need it. Yeah, they still desperately need him. And <laughs> it's it's one thing to criticize the setup, maybe criticize say we're not doing that well. I'm not scoring enough goals. I'm not getting enough chances. That's all fine and dandy. But to then, I mean, he takes it a bit further with the inter comments. But for me. Name dropping in an interview, oh, if I were to leave, I'd go to Madrid, Barca, Bayern. That's the one, if I was a Chelsea fan, that one would just set me over the edge. And even just as a neutral, not even a neutral, a Chelsea hater, I'm like, it, it, homeboys tripping, you know? It's crazy. It's like, uh, so in, in the U.S., I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan. And over the last year, Russell Wilson was rumored to leave the Seahawks and he didn't say it directly, which makes it less worse. But um, his agent came out and said, oh, Russell doesn't want to leave. He wants to stay in Seattle. But if he left, he would go to Chicago, Las Vegas, New Orleans, or New York. And it's like that same thing. It's like, well, if you're not thinking about leaving, why are you naming teams? And this is even worse because Lukaku's saying it directly on TV. So yeah, I would go to these three teams. It's, it's an awful image. I don't know what... I mean, if you're Lukaku's agent or publicist, you must be thinking, what the hell are you doing? But I don't know. Soccer agents, I feel like it's gotten out of hand where any public... Uh, I, I, don't, I, yeah, can't I mean, they might have yeah. been stirring the pot. I mean, we don't really know. But what I do situation is Inter Milan, their oh, response. Yes. Well, first, let's talk about the fans, which I thought this was funny unfurl this banner at the stadium that says something like, you know, uh, it's characters and based on those who run away from the rain, but who stay in the storm, something all poetic and Italian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but was, what was even funnier though, is I'm paraphrasing heavily here, but I think it was Inter's owner, some higher level enter, uh, leave the CEO, the CEO, right came out and was saying, yeah, we sold Lukaku for 100 million pounds. We brought in Ed and Dzeko for 2 million pounds, and they're of similar quality. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, please. I love that shade. It's just like, it's basically telling Lukaku, saying all this shit. It's like, yeah, you're not coming back to Inter, buddy. Not dropping no. that money on you. You can sit no. your sorry ass on the Chelsea bench for all we care. Bizarre situation, seriously. So we'll see if that gets worked out. I mean, as of today, we're recording this on a Monday night. He practiced with Chelsea today. You know, Chelsea has some cup ties coming up against Tottenham. We'll see if he plays. We'll see if his, you know, he he should be healthy enough. That's not an issue because he played in the two games before that. I mean, you would think with the fixture congestion, he would. But it's a bizarre, bizarre, bizarre story. And we'll see how it unfurls. But I will say, I don't think they're going to sell him or anything. That would be disastrous for Chelsea. Because not only would they probably lose money, but January is not a good time. And they're trying to... It's probably not bad enough where they can't recover and he can play for the rest of the season. But it's a bizarre situation. Truly, yeah. He's definitely not going anywhere in January. In the summer, though, I mean, it's too early to say, but uh, definitely not in January, especially with all the strikers out there on the market, whether it's now or whether in the summer. You know, I, I if Lukaku thinks he's going to get a move to one of those three teams he mentioned, um, well, something tells me those three teams might be more interested in the Holland. Uh, yeah, they're, 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 Lukaku's the rearview mirror holland is straight for those three teams madrid and bayern i think especially uh, barca i don't know where their money comes from they the ceo but as a side note their laporta came out and said like oh yeah we have all this money to sign big players yeah i'm like what fucking money are you talking about <laughs> like you've have asked we- and boost to take like 400 
thousand euro pound discounts on their salary. What money, like what tr- money tree in Barcelona is this growing on? I don't get it. I feel like Laporta also, again, I could be paraphrasing here, but I think this is something like Barca is back. Barca's back, baby. Uh, I don't know. And they're going after the entire like Aspilicueta and Morata. What? That's a head scratcher. How do Barca fans feel about Morata? I mean, he's been the nicest to Barca in their history. Unless he's a Madrid guy, but yeah, whatever. Right. Ferran Torres to Barca, though, by the way. We haven't mentioned that on the pod. We mentioned as a rumor last time, but that's the done deal. He's in Barca. He's on the uniform. He's training. So that's, you know, we're not even talking about that in the transfer window. But yeah, he's done. I believe that's the one piece of business that's been done in the January transfer window involving a Premier League team. I don't think anyone actually has come in. But no that's, happened. that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. no, Ferran Torres is, has left to Barca. Total side note, since this is uh, since we're both Americans here, Ricardo Pepe, 18-year-old yeah. American striker, going to FC Augsburg, going to play in a relegation battle. Um, was an interesting move, but honestly, for his development, they need goals. He'll start. I, he's I gonna play, and for a team in a relegation fight to pay in a deal that has add-ons up to a 20 million dollar deal for a striker from the mls that's a that's big money honestly i i uh i i applaud pepe for that kind of move rather than going to you know another team where he won't play as much so i i like these kind of moves personally so and it's a team with style i mean i follow the bundesliga a little more than probably you do it's just like it's a team that he should get the ball and opportunities to score more so than I questioned a Josh Sargent to Norwich <laughs> where it's a team like Norwich who doesn't have a lot of the ball or not many scoring opportunities. And so a t- a player like Josh Sargent would be way better suited in the championship. I think, even though that's a lower level league because he's getting way more opportunities on the ball and scoring and practice. Agreed. Really. Agreed. Um, uh, so speaking- even if, Sorry, so one thought, one second. So even if Ricardo Pepe gets relegated in the Bundesliga, I, I think it's a different. You know, you're testing yourself against some of the better players in the world and international players, and he's young enough where you know mm-hmm. he can play a couple years in Augsburg and move to a better mid-table team in Germany or go play in England or whatnot. Totally, totally agree. And all this talk about American strikers playing in the Championship, totally forgot Daryl DK. Alone mm. until the rest of the season to West Bromwich Albion. Oh, Barcode FC. We love them. Barcode FC. <laughs> yep. Hopefully they don't have the awful green and <sighs> diarrhea. Oh, man. That was a, that was a hot topic. For, the red and yellow was even worse. I, I thought. So. I thought that looked like vomit, where the green and yellow was just like a, like if a little baby took a crayon to like the <laughs> Norwich jersey and like moved it around. <laughs> That's what that jersey was. Anyways, we digress. Uh, Let's keep talking about London, but let's move from west and north and talk about our favorite North and London club on the podcast, Arsenal Football Club. They've been playing pretty well. They have been playing pretty well. Even you cannot deny that. Cannot. They've they've been playing pretty well and and have risen from the ashes in the basement of the Premier League from three games in where they had zero points and I think a negative 10 or 9 goal difference. And they're currently sitting in fourth place. Which is, I mean, yes, you can talk about games in hand, yada, yada, but they are in fourth place as of now. Who cares? It's impressive, seriously. They have, you know, before this last game where um, they lost to City, which we'll talk to in a second, they had four straight wins over Southampton, West Ham, Leeds, and Norwich, and they were all dominant wins, too. I think they beat Norwich 5-0. They had a Wolves game that was canceled, too. So, yes, you could say not the strongest competition, but West Ham's in fifth. They're playing really well, and they dominated West Ham, and they blew out those other teams. So before we get to the City game... What do you think of Arsenal's run of form, and what have you noticed that Arsenal have either done better or that they've changed to get to the place that they're at now? I mean, I mean, look here, here on the pod on the top, I might be a Spurs. We not be, we may not be Arsenal fans by any stretch of the imagination, but oh, I'm a big Arsenal fan. We've been saying a lot of friendly, nice, and positive things about Arsenal, except for the first, you know, three to five games of the season, but. Honestly, they've they've earned every bit of it. 
I mean, you can't help but be impressed by the way they've been playing. I mean, I think the one major blip they've had is that loss to Everton. Somehow, I don't know how they lost to Everton because Everton are absolutely garbo, garbo this season. So I don't know what happened there. But besides that, I mean, again, we'll get into the City loss, but it's just they've really impressed me. And what impresses me most about their form so far this season is yeah, they have all these young players, and yeah, they're inexperienced, and you think that would create some inconsistency. But the young players on that squad across the board have been their most consistent players. And I actually feel like some of the senior players have actually been letting them down. But, mm-hmm. And it's not just the attacking players who everyone talks about, but you know, Ben White, Gabriel, Tomiyasu, they've all been great this season, honestly. Uh, Ramsdale, who saw that coming? You know, so we did not call the Ramsdale move on this podcast. That is one that we had wrong for sure. No, we were debating whether he would start or not. And I, I still thinking that burnt burnt Leno, whose name sounds like a fart would, uh, would still (laughs) start over, over Ramsdale. So you got to hold your hand up, man. They, they, they deserve it. They look really good. And this, this team is going somewhere under, uh, Arteta. They've trusted the process and they're, uh, reaping the fruits of that. Yeah, I mean, it's about time, right? You know, not to blame Arteta solely, but just Arsenal. They've been largely irrelevant in the top four race for, what, since Leicester won the title? Really? Yeah. yeah. Which is a long time for a club of Arsenal's pedigree. God, was that the last time they were in the Champions League? It was like five, six years the ago. Year after, yeah, I think the year wow. after Leicester won it, because Arsenal finished second, I believe, in a, in, a, in a year that Tottenham should have finished second, but we won't get into that. Um, <laughs> yeah it it's strange so here's the thing i totally agree with your analysis and you know getting into the city games exactly what played out the younger players looked really good uh martinelli had a lot of attacking chances more so than i think any other player against city did this entire season but couldn't put any in you know you had players you know a friend of the podcast granite Xhaka, make another mistake you know what's new water is wet and then Gabrielle making a, a mistake as well a player that's actually been good for them this season so yeah I, I I think they've looked good against you know inferior competition and like I've said in previous podcasts you can only play the schedule in front of you and you know they're dominating and blowing out you know both on xg and on re- regular goals uh, the teams that they are playing. Now, what I'm a little scared of is, yes, you know, they deserved probably more against Manchester City, and you could argue it was should have been a draw, I would say. It would have been a fair result for both teams. Yeah, agreed. But, you know, they, they blew out West Ham 2-0 and really dominated that whole game, I would say. They lost to Everton. They've lost to United. They lost to Liverpool. They beat Tottenham early, but Tottenham was not the same team that they are now, to be fair. This was a Nuno Tottenham team, and Nuno Tottenham was probably on par with Burnley. So not a great team there. I just don't know if they can compete with the other six best teams in the league, or five, I should say, other five best teams in the league. Consistent. They're beating the shittier teams, but can they, you know, they're going to play two EFL Cup teams, but, you know, Tottenham away is going to be a tough game. They have Chelsea, they have Liverpool, they all sandwiched in in the next couple of months. Those are tough games for them. I just don't know if they have the talent right now to compete with them. But this is better than they've looked last season. So progress is progress. Yeah, and I, I think that's a big question because Sam was impressive earlier this season, but um, I would still say this match against City was the first real challenge that Arsenal has had since they've gone on this good patch of form. Because I feel like they started off with some really difficult matches right off the bat. But after that, you know, this 10-game win streak they had in the league, yeah, they had some pretty cakewalk teams here and there. Um, But, you know, you can only be what's in front of you, as you said. But the City match was the first real test that we really got a sense of where this team is at. And honestly, they passed the test with flying colors. I would have given it probably an A minus, an A even. You know, I was really impressed with them. They, they, I haven't seen City pressed like that by a team uh, in a long time. Seriously, I mean, Arsenal pulled a City against City without maybe without the possession, but in terms of the defensive high press system, I mean, you can kind of see how Arteta was playing was uh, assistant under Pep for many years. So that was really impressive, but. 
I think we just have to see more to really gauge where Arsenal is at because, you know, I don't think you're really sold on this Arsenal squad because we need to see a few more matches like this rather than just have one example against the City team. You know, I want to see them against Liverpool. I want to see them against Arsenal, which, lo and behold, next match week, North London Derby. Sorry, I said Arsenal. I meant Spurs. Um, I want to see them against Chelsea. Um, even West Ham again. You know, these are the things... These are the teams that we'll really see what Arsenal's made of. So I think more to come, but they do still have like the striker issue. Xhaka still somehow plays. Thomas Partey's leaving for a month. I mean, there are some question marks there, but with players like Odegaard and Martinelli and Smith Rowe and Saka, I mean, I think they're in pretty decent hands, at least moving forward, if not this season. You know what I mean? Totally. And, it's going to be interesting, too, because a lot of these good teams they're playing are away. Not Liverpool, but the upcoming Tottenham game is on the road. Liverpool, or Chelsea is on the road. And why I bring that up is because if you look at some of their results and where they've struggled the most um, throughout the season, it's been away. And so the most recent losses, besides the City, are Everton, United, and Liverpool. Liverpool being dominating loss, but the other two not so much. And they were all away games. And so... We'll see what happens where they're without the comfort of the Emirates Stadium. That's not a sentence I ever thought I would say. The comfort of the Emirates <laughs> Stadium and at home, what can they go when they don't play with the red jerseys and they're in the others? Um, and against better teams and better atmosphere. So we'll see see what happens. But Arsenal on the up, they're in fourth place, and we'll see if how long they can stay there. But the team that are that they just played over the weekend and you know are truly flying through Premier League is Manchester City. And you know, we've gone through and said the form of Chelsea and the form of Arsenal and gone through individual games and yada yada. Here's the deal with City, Kyle. They've won eleven straight in the English Premier League. They find themselves ten points over second place Chelsea, eleven points over Liverpool, but Liverpool have a game in hand. What do we think of this right now? So, I mean, this is a massive gap. Is is the title race... I mean, obviously, mathematically, it's not over and yada yada, but is the title race over? Uh, the, the fact that we're even, like, discussing this is really telling. And the fact that be like, no, that's ridiculous, Justin. We're only halfway through the season. How could you say that? You know? Yeah. The fact that that's not my reaction is, is telling. Because, I mean, do you see City... Stopping at any point? I mean, sure, they might have a little blip in form, but would that last more than two games? I don't think so. <laughs> so it's it's starting to be a gap that uh, it normally would, wouldn't spell the end of the season, more or less, but against a City team in the league format when they're so, so deep. I mean, a one-off game in the Champions League, we've seen City blip before, but... They're just so stacked in every position. And it's like so annoying, honestly. Every single position. Kyle Walker isn't even playing this season. Like we haven't even seen him, honestly. Yeah, well, after and, a sense of injury. I mean, Jao Cancelo has been one of the best wingbacks in the world, minus this last Arsenal game. But you give him a pass because he was yeah. like, a, you got like assaulted, right? So. Yeah, but even like, yeah, God, that's also a crazy story. Getting, getting uh, robbed in his own house. But. Right. Players like Nathan Ake hasn't really played all season. Comes in the last two, three games. They're really good. You know, I mean, Gundogan hasn't really played much. Dude scored like 15 goals last year or something crazy like that. We all said Bernard, they didn't. Bernardo Silva wanted to leave in the summer. Been like the player of the season for them. Yeah, yeah, seriously. So they've, they've been insanely good. Um, honestly, their lack of a striker doesn't even matter. Their one striker that they have, Gabby Jesus, isn't even playing striker somehow for some reason. This this team is just ridiculous. And to answer your, I've just rambled for a little bit, but to answer your question, it's, man, it's close to the title race being over is kind of how I would gauge it. So your answer is no. Close. So no. Okay. But it's, it's pretty, it's it's pretty damn close. Yeah. Call it. It's over. It's done. In 21 <laughs> games, they've lost, they've dropped 10 points this season. And so they have a 10-point lead over Chelsea, and so they'd have to do the same, and Chelsea would have to, you know, continue the form they're in. I just don't see it. I mean, a lot of, if you go back historically, well, it's this season, last season, two seasons ago, typically where City struggle is the beginning of the season. 
Yep. We've passed that point, and they're 10 points ahead. I just, you know, with Liverpool losing Salah and Mane for the African Cup of Nations, we'll get into that a little bit later, but spoiler, they're losing them. Uh, Chelsea, in the form that they're in. Uh, what? United? <laughs> uh, so, like, Arsenal, like, Tottenham, like, no, I think it's over. Yeah. It's hard. It's honestly, it's hard to argue with at this point. And they're just such a machine. It, it, what, what I will say, though, is it's kind of amazing that City has been running away with it almost every single season we've done this pod, except uh-huh. for the Liverpool year, yeah. um, where City had crazy injuries and Liverpool just went on an insane form. But and it's crazy won, that... They lost it the, by like one... Or no, never mind. Sorry, sorry, sorry. That, yeah. No, that was the year before. Sorry, continue. They did kind of like somehow close the gap or something like that. But uh, yeah, they didn't run away the year before that. But it's insane that City are always the best team. They're always running away with it. And honestly, we don't cover them that much on the pod. Because, I mean, what else can you say? Honestly, it's, it's truly bizarre. But my one question about City, the one potential hiccup they could have, do you think they'll miss Riyad Mahrez at AFCON? I know he doesn't always start every game, but he's been really important this this season for them. And he's been doing really well on my fantasy team, at least. <laughs> and uh, he's important in the way they play, especially strikers, since he can contribute in goals and assists. Do you think him going away is going to, could potentially be a hiccup for them? Not really. Honestly. Like, if, I mean, yes, they'll miss him for sure because of rotation and he's a good player. But if I had to like measure the impact from one to 10, like how much will he be missed? It's like a three. So do I think it's like de- debilitating or terrible? No. Will they miss him? Yes. But like they'll be fine. They're so annoyingly deep. It just really irritates me. Like, okay, Jack Grealish, I guess you have to play now. Oh, Remember man. you? We bought you for a hundred million. Guess you have to trot out and do something. Oh, Bernardo Silva, you want to go play up where you're actually used to play every game? Sure, you can go play right wing. Oh, Sterling, you want to be a little more uh, relevant? Oh man, yeah, it's absolutely insane. Phil Foden, Jesus. Oh yeah, Phil Foden. Forgot to mention him. Yeah, he isn't even in the starting twenty this last game. Yeah, he can play. Just embarrassment of riches, honestly. It's it's crazy. It's upsetting. So yeah, I mean, that's why I think it's over. And so, yes, they'll miss him, but not much. So we covered Manchester City, running away with it. You say it's close, I say it's over. The other side of Manchester, so, you know, they bought Cristiano Ronaldo, this team being Manchester United. People are going, oh, they're winning the Premier League. Here it is. Ollie at the wheel. Ollie's now gone. They have Ralph Rognick. They have not been playing well. We're recording on Monday night. They played earlier today. They lost at home 1 0 to Wolves. And by the way, Wolves were the better team in that oh, game. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That deserved to win 100%. So, what do we make of Manchester United? They've drawn at Newcastle. They won versus Burnley and they lost at home to Wolves. So, not an impressive. Four out of nine points in the window, which is a team that probably needed nine, honestly, to like cement themselves as clear-cut fourth-placed finishers. What do you make of Manchester United? What are your thoughts of the four-two-two-two of Ralph Rognick of the transition of the player? What? Give me your overall state of the union on Manchester United. Uh, very, very much a work in progress. Because even before those three results you mentioned. The, the draw, the win, and then the loss to Wolves. The draw, a draw to Newcastle, by the way, who've just been terrible all season. One right. win all season. Before then, I think they had two very narrow 1-0 wins, and that has been the Ralph Ragnick era. I guess it's three wins, and it's not terrible. But honestly, this weird 4-2-2-2 system um, is a little weird, but I'm willing to like give it some some time. But this is just such a work in progress. But I'm struggling to see how all the pieces fit in because this guy, Ragnick, he's he's the father of the German high press that Tuchel and Klopp have like totally put on a world stage. But you're you're telling me that a high press team 
can operate with Cristiano Ronaldo and Edison Cavani up top. What, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? Those guys are 37? Six. 36? Yeah. And 34, 35, however old Cavani mm-hmm. is? You're telling me that they're going to they're gonna press the shit out of defenders? I mean, a Rashford, a Greenwood, a Sancho, maybe. I mean, sure. Van de Beek always knows much of attacking attacker Martial. No, definitely. I don't, I don't think... He's got he's got the legs and the youth in him, but uh, the mentality now. So I'm not sure how well United's players fit his system. Anyway, I think it's too early to judge at a high level, but he needs more time than five games. That's for sure. Obviously, that, rather than make a judgment already, but it's been it's been a struggle so far. I mean, it's been a struggle to watch. I'm sure it's been extra struggle to watch for United fans. I mean, what do you make of it? It's a head scratcher. I mean, this is a team that should be better just by looking at them on paper, but it's just a, an evaluation exercise, right? I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo is not the player that he once was, right? He's not a top two player in the world, but that doesn't mean he's not good and you can utilize him for his strengths. But what does a four-two-two-two do for you with the squad that you have? Right. I mean, is that a four four two? Is that putting too many players up high, like you said, in the pressing, but the pressing can be broken down too easily because you have players that don't track back? So it's it's confusing. I'm I'm wondering what this will be evolved to or what this will evolve to because like you said, with the pressing style that they that their manager wants to play, I just don't think that they have the roster to do it. Because if you move up Rashford and Greenwood into those striker positions and play what Jaden Sancho in one wing, who do you play on the other? They just, I just don't think it really works. And so I'm, I'm confused. They have not been playing well. Their defensive woes have been interesting. Yes, they did not have Harry Maguire today and gave up one goal and lost. But like, he's been bad this season compared yeah. to expectation. Um, you have did not do too bad today. He didn't do terrible today. Yes, and he hasn't played what a game in two years or something like that. Something like that. Oh, Phil Jones. But I mean, only Manchester United, and this is what pisses me off the most, uh, more than anything. No, now listen. If you take away one thing from this, listeners and Kyle, remember this: Manchester United made Joel Linton on Newcastle United look like a fucking world beater. (laughs) <laughs> how does that happen where you make jolinton look that good and yes has he been better this season sure but he absolutely tore them to shreds and you cannot have that their defensive woes are all over the place they have the cdms that shouldn't be cdms on a top four team much like arsenal so it is it's confusing i don't know what they're trying to do i don't know what the tactics are going to be there's clearly a transition problem from Oli to Ralph Rognick, and I'm just not sure how many transfers they can make, if at all, to f- rectify the situation to fix to finish top four this season. Well, that's the thing. They spent so much money and had such a large transfer. I expect them to have a big January transfer window again? I mean, I, I don't. I mean, honestly, I look at their squad and I'm like, they're pretty deep. They they need a CDM. We all know that. But other than that, I mean, in terms of personnel, I, I feel like they're pretty covered across the pitch. But what I really don't get, though, is me talking about Ronaldo and Cavani not pressing and mentioning their age. I With Ronaldo especially, I don't think the age is as relevant because I don't doubt he's in insane shape. Oh, he's no doubt. so fit for his age. But what I'm saying with the high press is not just down to an aging Ronaldo. Has Ronaldo's game ever been about defense at all? Has it ever been about selflessness at all? Has it ever been about pressing at all? No, no, and no. So it's it's more of like a, he's a mentality monster, but it's his mentality to defend for the team. It has never been that. And I just don't know how that jives with the system. And, you know, he's like the mark, he's the star of the team now. So extra weird. And... Also, I just got to say, for future Christmases, please, listeners, get Justin a Jolinton jersey because he's your absolute favorite player, honestly. You just can't accept that he's been a little bit better this season. 
He has been is a he, little bit better. This 40 is million true. pounds, though. That's one of the most disastrous signings. It's ever. all measured. If he was a 2 million pound signing, I'd feel way different about it, obviously. It's he was also brought in as a striker. Which, right, and he's not playing striker, so there's that. What are we doing, uh, you know, scouting department? You know what I mean? Uh, one, one other thing I will say, though, is seems to be recognizing what we're saying is that about the squad is that all the individual talent is there, but no collective. I don't know about you, Justin, but I think that's a hangover from Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer. Absolutely zero tactics, zero identity, other than hope that teams attack us, and then we hit them on the counter. Like There was literally no game plan. and I feel like that's going on there, and it's going to take a while to implement such a rigid, identifiable system like, like uh, Ragnik has. Well, Solskjaer had the magic of being able to utilize Fergie time, and clearly Ralph Ragnick has not mastered that ability yet. So, I mean, what are mm. the tactics, really? Always I mean, Luke Shaw, I'm wondering how he feels about Ralph Ragnick. Cause, I mean, Ralph Ragnick basically called him milk tit, so I don't, I don't know <laughs> how he feels about the whole situation. Yeah, no paraphrase at all whatsoever, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Let's mention, we mentioned it a few times, but with the upcoming January and February time period, means there's African Cup of Nations, also known as AFCON. And this is a tournament, much like the Euros, where the African teams play each other uh, for, to, to be crowned the best team in Africa. And so what's unique about this tournament is that it's held in the nice part of the year in Africa, which is, happens to be the summer there which is during the winter up here. And so all the best players leave in the middle of the season that are African nationals. So we have some notable players here that are going to be missing. Kyle, I'll just list off some names here, and then you tell me who you think is going to be most impactful and why. So Manchester City, Riyad Mahrez, Liverpool, Mo Salah, Sadio Mane, and Nabi Keita. We have Chelsea. Yeah, we'll get to them in a second. Uh, Chelsea, we have Edward Mendy, their goalkeeper. Arsenal, oh yeah, Pierre Aubameyang still plays in the Premier League. Forgot about him. Uh, Thomas Partey, uh, Nicolas Pepe, and El Elneny from Egypt. Uh, United, we have Eric Bailly. Leicester, Kelechi Iheanacho, uh, Ndidi, and Amarte. West Ham, we have Saeed Benrama. Crystal Palace, Zaha, Kuyate, Ayu, and Schlupp. All missing, that's four names. Watford, Ismilia Saar, maybe. Brighton, Basuma, and Burnley, we have uh, Cornet, who's a revelation to that team, by the way. So I just listed a bunch of names. Point out to me like one or two situations where you think those absences are a big deal to those teams, or massive. I mean, I, I think we can all agree that one... Liverpool, Salah, Mane, and Keita. But Keita to a lesser extent, but... not Salah and Mane, I mean, my God. I mean, I think any team would struggle with those kind of absences other than maybe Man City or something ridiculous. Yes, like that. right. But yeah. I mean, this would be like if Mbappe and Neymar were missing for PSG, and that would that would really hurt them. You know, it, it would, but I mean, they'd still be fine, but they don't have Liverpool and all those other teams in their league. Right, yeah, it's totally true. So, I mean, obviously that's the one that stands out. What I will say, though, is I've been talking with my dad who did make on the pod once and and he is a liverpool fan he is much less worried about this than i thought he'd be and his was because um this season and a little bit last season but mostly this season uh liverpool seemed to be relying a lot less on their first 11 than previous seasons which i do totally agree with i think a lot more players are involved with that system than before but Missing Salah, I mean, top three player in the world right now. It's got to be. Player of the season so far, that's got to hurt any team. And while I don't doubt their ability to play without Mane uh, at this point, but Salah, that, that's killer. Um, I'm going to leave uh, the Leicester boys to you because um, I think you might have some thoughts on that. But I did also just want to shout out even some of the lower teams. Watford, Brighton, Burnley. Saar at Watford, Basuma at Brighton. Cornet at Burnley, I would argue those are the three best players on all three of those teams. And that's got to be killer for teams that are fighting uh, relegation battles. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, Brighton are probably, I think, pretty assumedly safe, but not Watford and Burnley. 
So that those are massive losses for them. I mean, Fournay coming off. I mean, he was he was playing left left wing back essentially in for Lyon and come over and he's like striker. <laughs> Hitting bangers. He's hit like six bangers already. That's a big loss. Uh two I would want to call out real quick. You mentioned Lester. You know, they've been relying on Vardy less. I mean, he's been playing a ton, but less and less. But Ianacho has been a key cog for them off the bench, providing a different look at striker. So we'll see what that looks like. But the most impactful player there is Wilfried and Ndidi, who's just a fantastic CDM for them and mops up everything and allows players like Tielemans to be more of that box-to-box and creative midfielder. And so who's going to fill that role, right? Hamza Chowdhury? Yeah. No. Amarty, no, he's leaving for Afghanistan. He's Hall leaving also. too. Right. And so Napoli's Mendy, I didn't even put him on the list. Uh, he's also leaving, I think. I think you're right. And so that, that creates a selection headache for Brendan Rodgers and a what are they going to do? You play Tielemans and Madison together. That's not necessarily the best combo. So we'll, we'll see what happens. That creates a selection. Another one that I wanted to mention was Crystal Palace. Who's, list, who's losing four players of Zaha, Kiyate, Ayu, and Schlepp. What I will say about Palace is they bought a new striker over the summer, Edson Udard, um, who's a pretty good player. They have Benteke, who's weirdly on good form. Yeah. And then you have, uh, remember, our, remember our good friend of the pod, Eze, is coming oh, yeah. back and healthy now. And he was on the bench for the last game, so he's going to be working himself back into the lineup, which I think this is the perfect time to when you're losing some of those four key players. So I think they'll be fine, but clearly Liverpool, the big the most majorly impacted as far as star power. Definitely. Sort of left field a uh, quick touch Edward Mendy for Chelsea. Mm. Can we trust Kepa to not pull a Kepa in in the Chelsea goal? I I will say when when Mendy, a couple games earlier this season Keppa for the first time in a Chelsea jersey did impress. He played pretty well, but um I I mean they did spend 70 million pounds on this guy, which is an insane amount of money, but I think most Chelsea fans would be pretty concerned about that, wouldn't you think? I would think so. Um Yeah, it's a funny thing, right? Because you think that Edward Mendy has made some fantastic stops, and he did against Liverpool. The one where Salah almost had an incredible effort, and Mendy had a good save. And, you know, he routinely makes saves like every other game that probably Kappa wouldn't make. But I'd say it's impactful just given their schedule. I mean, you have the Carabao Cup, which we don't really cover, but they play two games against Tottenham there. You know, a really good team. You then play... City in the league, Tottenham in the league, and then, yeah, and then and then you have some games after that. So it it's worrying, I would say for sure, because you have a keeper of not the same quality, and it bother it bothers me how much they spent. I feel like personally offended how much money Chelsea spent on Kepa. <laughs> it's uh, it. I just don't understand it. It was like. Where do they buy him from? Bill Bow literally just named some crazy price, and Chelsea was like, "Yeah, okay." okay. <laughs> you know, wow. It's like, what is Kep? Would Kepa have been any better? Would he have been any better than if they just asked Petr Cech, "Please come play goalie Seriously. for more years"? Imagine thinking you should spend as much money as on Kepa as what'll be required for Holland in the summer. Just let that just let that sink in a little bit, because Holland is going to be seventy five million pounds if he leaves. That's his release clause. Seven. I mean, he's going to. I mean, no, you're going to hear a differing thing. He's going to leave. There's no way he's staying. So yeah. Ah, it's crazy. Yeah. All right. Let's get into some quick January transfer window storylines. So we mentioned at the top of the pod that the window is now open. And so we'll go through some key questions. We'll do a more high-level, depth, in-depth transfer pod later in the window of you know individual signings and what that will mean and yada, yada. But these are just some key questions that we have. So I think we'll switch off on our questions. So I'll go first, Kyle. What is the biggest transfer window story? So what is the biggest story coming into the transfer window for the Premier League? Oof, uh, I feel like... There are a couple interesting stories here. Some players that need to be replaced. Some spicy, you know, drama going on in the background with like Lukaku and some players like that. But I feel like there's only one answer. It's got to be Newcastle. 
Honestly, mm-hmm. with that Saudi oil money coming in, they're by far the wealthiest club in the world. I mean, completely eclipsing uh, cities whose city owned by Abu Dhabi, I think. Yeah. Royal family and United yeah. Arab Emirates, something crazy like that. Newcastle, owned by the Saudi royal family. Uh, they're in a relegation battle. Um, the we first the- time they're allowed to spend this money, by the way. That's right. Yeah, I think they were taken over in like October, I believe. So they're flushed with cash. They're in 19th place in a relegation battle. They need a lot of enforcement. Crazy rumors going around like Mbappe, Holland, this and that. None of that's <laughs> realistic, but it'll be really interesting to see what approach they take. Not just what positions and who, but what what kind of player are they looking for? Like what status? I don't know. I'll be really interested to see that. So it's got to be Newcastle for me. No brainer. Yeah, I totally agree. And just to add on to that, they there's strong links with them for a couple players out there. So one being a former Premier League player, Kieran Trippier from Atletico Madrid, who plays for them and is also rumored with Chelsea, but rumored with Newcastle, probably because Newcastle can pay the big bucks now. Have that nice salary. Kieran Trippier going to play in North England. And then also from little midfielder Sven Boatman. Not many people on this podcast will know him, but he's rumored to be a 30 million pound fee. So they're going after players like that, which I think is the better strategy, right? It's yeah. players that with an unknown status from a club and not really bought in for the future and want different things in their career and maybe Premier League and et cetera. And I also think they should target loan players like a, we've mentioned this a few times in the pod, but like a Jesse Lingard type of player where you're on the outs of a good club but yeah. looking for playing time, but clearly better than effing John Joe Shelby or whoever you employ. <laughs> On a weekly basis, for sure. I mean, a certain Deli Ali will be looking for a club, I think. And uh, honestly, Newcastle have been linked with every player under the sun, uh, right. especially in the Premier League, looking for a move. I mean, I've seen a bombing. I've seen Winks, you know, XYZ oh, player. Winks. Yeah, but I have actually the bombing room being up, though. And that's, that, that's an interesting one. I don't know. Anyway, Newcastle, very interesting story. Um, but another one, honestly, the biggest transfer saga, annoyingly for me, of the entire summer, Harry Kane to City. They didn't sign him. We were all saying them not signing a striker will probably cost them. Look at them now. They're running away with it. We already discussed do they even need a striker, but to me, one of the other biggest storylines is will they even sign a striker in this January transfer window? I don't think City does anything. Honestly, I don't think they buy anybody. I think they sit on their laurels and they keep dominating the Premier League and then they can rest players to the Champions League and give it a go. I don't think they'll buy us. They'll look at a striker till the summer, honestly. Yeah, I've, I'm definitely with you on the striker, but I can I can actually see in it not being a striker. You know what I mean? I, I can like see them signing a left back, for example. After, I mean, that, that, that would be yeah. probably the one position that they do sign for. Yeah, to replace that serial rapist, Benjamin Mendy, you know what I mean? So Holy crap, talk about stories. Crazy. Um, I was not just being flippant right there. Like, that's no. a real thing. What, seven counts or something crazy like that? Wow. Moving on from that, yeah. Chelsea, <laughs> uh, they have had some injuries, and also at left back and right back now. Um, they play more wing backs, but they have some injuries and some are thin at certain positions. Do you think they dip their toes in the market to look for replacements? Uh, I do, at least for left back, left wing back, because you're telling me Chelsea fans are going to accept Marcus Alonso for a whole season. I oh, it's not. That. It's not about Chelsea fans. What do you think, uh, Tuchel or Tuchel is happy with? Do you think he's happy with Marcus Alonso out there? Definitely not. Definitely not. And if you're looking at the entire squad, one right wing back as well. So do they target both? I mean, honestly, um, I think at least one. I've seen a lot of rumors with Luca uh, Luca Dean from Everton. Mm. Don't know why he's not playing for Everton. He's one of their best players. I think that would be a great signing, honestly, that I think could actually push uh, Ben Chilwell when eventually he comes back. So definitely see them signing a left wing back, right wing back. (laughs) I mean, maybe, but it's just a shame because they have like five right wing backs that are great that are out on loan. So 
<laughs> I don't know. Can they recall any of them? Not really sure. But uh, I don't know. What about you? I agree. I, I largely agree with that. I I don't think they'll go for any midfielders because they kind of had four central midfielders and they have enough attackers, I think. I mean, minus the Lukaku situation to be fine. I think it would all be at the wing back positions, especially left. I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, and one thing I'm really curious to get your thoughts is a lot of talk out there about Tottenham Hotspur, and there seems to be this expectation that, you know, Antonio Conte demands a lot of money. Spurs are going to go buy a lot of players. I know I have my opinions on this as a Spurs fan who's seen this play out many, many, many times, or actually the opposite, not see it play out many times. But do you think that this will be the beginning of a large over Conte? And do you see Spurs having a busy January transfer window? You promised me this would be a Spurs free. Frank Kessie, those type of players I could see them starting negotiations with, but I don't think they will do any or major business this winter just because it's so hard in January to find the players that you want because teams are in battles or they need the players like a Frank Kessie who plays for Milan, right? Like Milan is in second and Serie A down by four points. Like does Milan want to sell right now? Probably not. I mean, they would much prefer to sell in the summer where they could you know, find re- replacements. So it's going to be tough. You know, Lorenzo Insigne is another name, but he probably wants to go to Toronto FC over cold Tottenham. So I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> bizarre, man. Bizarre. Yeah, yeah. I, I honestly, I'm kind of, there's this expectation that Spurs are going to do a lot of business from some corners of the media and some fans. I think it's crazy because we all know who the owner is. Uh, I, I can see Spurs making one, maybe two signings. I see them, I f- fucking hope so, I, that they sign a second striker because it's ridiculous that we've gone this far without one. Uh, and I could see them going for a center back. But I could see them trying to push out multiple players like a Doherty, like a Deli. And uh, Dombele really seems like he's on the outs. So. Uh, Joe Roden getting alone. So I see more departures than incomings, but the squad's about, looking really light in a couple areas. What about Bergwijn? Yeah, I mean, uh, Bergwijn, I, th- I think Bergwijn players that is getting interest from other teams, especially Ajax. But I, I see Conte building some faith with Bergwijn, and I see at least in the last like couple games he's been fit, he seems like a, lo- a little more confident. I mean... I know it wasn't Premier League, but in the League Cup game, he absolutely destroyed West Ham, which was like first time I've seen that in like what two years. So, no, I don't see a lot of incomings and outgoings. You know, maybe Doherty leaves. I think Delhi definitely does. If anyone's interested in Dombele, I bet they'll really try to push him out. But I just see a striker and probably center back coming in. So, more I see more free transfers in the summer. You know what I mean? Oh, totally agree. Arsenal, they have this former Dortmund legend, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who, you know, a few off the, off the field incidents or training, you know, lateness and all sorts of things have rubbed Mikel Arteta the wrong way, and he's not able to get in the squad right now. So do you see, you know, on the back of him coming back from AFCON, do you see Arsenal selling Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang? Uh, man. I I I wouldn't expect them to sell. A, I bet they'll try. Maybe Newcastle will take the bait or something. Who knows? Uh, but I I'm not 100 sure if they would actually sell him simply because I don't know who would be interested. But would I expect them to sign a replacement though? Not in January. I expect them to go for someone big in the summer and to probably fail miserably. You know, I'm sure they'll like probably sound out Holland. Not going to happen. I've heard oh, they're rumored with like Vlaovic would be a great signing for them. 
probably not going to happen. Isak from Sociedad or wherever he plays. I mean, all those great players be props if you can grab them. But um, yeah, I probably don't expect much movement on Arsenal's front since they spent so much money this summer. They did. I could see them trying to sell Aubameyang. I just, like you said, I don't know who would buy. Yeah, it's just January such a tough window. You know, this expectation that tons of money flying around, especially with Omicron and the threat potentially of matches to be close to fans, which I don't expect to happen, but I'm sure owners are thinking it's just, yeah, it's it's a really hard window to operate in. Um, the one... One of the big six teams that we did not mention so far, though, Manchester United. Probably had the biggest summer of any of the teams that we mentioned, even though Arsenal spent the most. But, Justin, do you think, you know, Ralph Ragnick, new system, some aging players, do you see Manchester United signing anyone this January it, transfer it's window? It's hard to imagine them signing players. It is, just given the money they spent on Jaden Sancho, on Ronaldo's wages. Veron, it's it's yeah. hard it's hard to imagine them going after players. I mean, they, God, do they need it? But will they? I, I don't think so. I I if I was a betting man, which I'm not, I I don't think so. I could see them selling Martial. To be fair, uh, just given his desire to leave and lack of playing time, and you know, trying to sell him and maybe one at loaning another player out, but. It's hard to imagine them finding the player that they want during the January window, really. Yeah, totally. I, I, I totally agree with I mean, who, is, who have they signed in the past in January, right? Like Igalo, like an emergency striker that they got from China, yeah. right? Like the, January's great for like filling bad, in, like, a, like you mentioned earlier with Chelsea and Luca Digne from Everton. Like that's a perfect signing because not probably someone they would target in the summer, but someone they desperately need now for a cover. Or Arsenal last year, the year before, getting Cedric from Southampton for a similar right. reason. Right? Like, that's the type of signing you make in January. Yeah. Or maybe, like, the only thing I could see happening is more loan uh, until the rest of the season. And then if it works out, then they spend the money, kind of like they did with or Arsenal did with Odegaard or something like that. But, yeah, no. And what, what, I, what I totally said, the one thing I will add on top, United squad and it's funny because yeah they do need players or they need certain players to fit Ragnick's system better but I look at that squad it's pretty stacked top to bottom and I actually feel like they're pretty covered in just about every single position except and every United fan will tell you this CDM that center Mm. defensive mid you still have Fred and McTominay and Matic somehow you got three people but are any of them good enough I like McTominay, but out of the other three, like, no. So I'm sure that's the one all United fans will be clamoring for, whether or not it'll actually happen, though. I honestly highly doubt it because Fred has been playing a little bit better. So I actually don't expect any incomings at United, honestly, in the January window, except for maybe Martial going out. Maybe Phil Jones finally gets a move. I don't really know. Yeah, maybe Phil Jones will get to play a game of football. I don't I don't know. Yeah, maybe Juan Mata will return to existence. I don't really know. I forgot about him. Oh, that's cute. Oh, I can see maybe Dean Henderson. Yeah. Actually, I mean, if they're looking for some money to bring in, uh, like I said, a CDM or a player who can actually press. Yeah. You know, there's I mean, some, some good money on the bench. He could he could definitely fetch about twenty million pounds. You'd think. You would. You would think. All right. Well, that's all we have. I mean, that's all we have. That we covered a lot there. Um, last podcast we teased like, oh, we'll get back into the individual match breakdown soon, and clearly that just did not happen over the holidays for n- numerous reasons. But we are back now. Funny enough, there is no match week next week, so. We will see if we will cover January transfer window or if any breaking news. So we'll we'll stay available and you know monitor the situation closely. But the next match week is January fifteenth, sixteenth weekend. So we'll definitely have a podcast after that. We will stay keep in keep a keep your eye out on the podcast apps and Spotify if we do a special FA Cup Carabao Cup episode. 
but Ooh, we'll, yeah. we'll see. We'll see. No promises. A lot, a lot coming up, though. Honestly, my, my least favorite slash the one I look forward to the most fixture as a Spurs fan of the whole calendar year is ahead for me. So the North it, London Derby on the 16th. Uh, Honestly, I'm always scared. I'm always scared shitless. And that probably says a lot more about the psyche of a Tottenham fan than anything else. I think it does. But you also have a couple matches sandwiched in there against Chelsea, too. Yep, yep. And of but course, you, have only, you only have one striker. So Harry Kane's playing in all those games. This is, this is going to be the spi- this is the spiciest North London derby in a long, long time. I mean, Arsenal have been kind of a little irrelevant for many years now. But uh, they look great. Conte's in, so this should be a great match. But FA Cup, man, I just love it. I love the FA Cup. I love seeing like the big dog play the non-league team with like people's backyards in the background next to the stadium. Uh-huh. I just yeah. I love that stuff. I really do. Tottenham's at home against Morecambe. Morecambe. I don't know how you say that. They're in League One, 19th place in League One. So yeah, I think some of the other big speed. big Premier League teams are also playing some some minnows as well. So I just love those matches. Yeah, they're fun to watch, especially like what did uh who did Tottenham play like two, last year, the year before? Marine. Marine FC. That's yeah, right. that's what I was talking about. Like they literally the bald got a backyards and all the backyards had like numbers on sheds, so the team would know who to whose door to knock on in in order to get the ball. So I, I love the FA Cup. I'm really looking forward to it. You know, I'm just gonna pull up some other uh yeah, what are some other matchups? What else is going on in the FA Cup? Swindon Town versus Man City on Friday. It's another big big gap. I think Swindon's in like the fourth division or something. Yeah, I'll confirm that. But yes, yes, yes. They're in low low what else we got let's see manchester united aston villa that's that's got to be oh, that's a good matchup for a third yeah, round a good matchup chelsea against chesterfield liverpool shrewsbury oh these these are the ones that make that make that pick up great swansea There's southampton little... swansea hey, get a test of go. a premier league team there you go. Honestly, these the the little clubs make so much matches, and it honestly can keep them afloat for like many years at a time. So that's great. And then midweek before that, and then the midweek following. So I think like what, what would that be? January fifth and sixth, and then the next week would be twelfth and thirteenth. League Cup, aka Carabao Cup semifinals. Some pretty spicy matchups: uh, Spurs, Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal. Man, I know it's a League Cup, but it's pretty spicy, you got to say. So a lot of good matches ahead. That'll do it for us. Keep your eye on Spotify and Apple Podcasts for a midweek release next week. If we do a Cup episode, if not, we'll definitely be back the week after. Make sure you keep in touch with us on our non-Instagram, our non-existent Instagram at OverTheTopEPL and on our non-existent Twitter at Over the Top EPL, and on our non-existent YouTube page at Over the Top EPL. So make sure you follow all of those. We will be back soon. Stay safe. See you in a week or two.